Appreciate Chad and Steve and Carly, and we had Kenny, haven't had him with us in a while, it was great, and Sasha, thank y'all so much. So y'all, it's been kind of a, a rough week, we had a, a couple of funerals here, um, one of our staff member, members, Kathy Screws, lost her husband David, and we had that um, a service here on um, Thursday, so continue to pray for Kathy and Matthew and Madeline and their family, and uh, the Sherlings and the Fishers, and, uh, um, and then we had one here yesterday, these flowers here, it was actually a guy that I was in youth group with in this church, and uh, unfortunately had a, um, a diabetic, went into a diabetic coma and was not able to survive that a few weeks ago, and that family was a very important part of our uh, church family here for a long time in East Point, and they had moved away, but they wanted to come back here to have that funeral um, for their brother, and so they had some beautiful flowers they left here as well. But Tuesday, I had something really neat happen, and it will tie in well with our sermon day. I'll explain that later, but we had um, uh, one of our ladies and her husband, uh, Elizabeth Brown, and her husband, Al, joined this morning, but on Tuesday night, she, um, and I don't, I don't know exactly her age, and I'm not going to try to guess that, especially with a lady, um, but let's just say she was a senior adult, and she decided to be immersed, to be baptized. And on Tuesday night, her and her two daughters came over here, and her husband, and we baptized her. And it was a really, really sweet ceremony, and I just was so thankful for her at her age to say, you know what, I'm going to do that. And so it was really a neat thing, but they joined this morning, so I really, really appreciate that. Well, I don't know how many of y'all, have y'all ever been um, asked to do a survey either on the phone or walking, and, you know, I try to avoid those people. Like, I'm busy, you know. Um, but obviously, researchers get information, and they give us uh, information that we can use, uh, even preachers and sermons, right? So um, after the pandemic, there's been a lot of research that's been done in the Pew Research Center. Um, I think it was last year, they, they surveyed about 6,500 people, uh, American adults, and about 1,500 of those were evangelical Christians, and they basically asked this question. Philosophically, how do you make sense of suffering and bad things that happen to people? And we've all thought about that, right? But philosophically, how do you make sense of suffering and bad things when that happens to people? Well, in that survey, about 70% of those adults agree that suffering is mostly a consequence of people's own actions. And then another 70% of people said that suffering is mostly a result of the way our society or our culture is structured. And then another, in another question, 80% believe that either in God as described in the Bible, about 60% of those people, or in a higher power, um, about 32% people. Yet most say suffering comes from the actions of people and not from God. And then another 70% of people agreed that, hey, we have the free will to act against God's plans. Even if we know those plans, even if we think we know some kind of moral code, we have the ability, the freedom to act against those. And then 50% of the people says they believe that God allows suffering because it is part of a larger plan of His. And then 40% believe that Satan is responsible for most of the world's suffering, and then about two or twenty percent say they have doubted God's um, power, goodness, or existence 
because of suffering. Now, I don't know if you were following along with that. It might sound like Charlie Brown's teacher on that one. Wah, 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 wah. But, you know, that, I wasn't real surprised at some of those numbers. But what I do know is, is that most of us think about why do bad things happen to people? Why is there suffering? Why do these things happen to people? And so I ask you this morning, how do you philosophically, and I know it's the fifth Sunday, so we have some younger ones in here that are usually in children's church, but they're here today. So you're probably going, why is he using a big word when I'm here? Philosophically. Well, all that means, y'all, is basically how do you logically think about life? Philosophy just means how we think about life. Based on our experience and reality in life, how do we think about life? That's what philosophy is, just the thought about life. So how do we think about, or what do we think about, how do we make sense of when somebody suffers or has something bad happen to them? How do we kind of rationalize that? And so you and I may have thought of some responses, but chances chances are that all of us have asked why when something has bad that has happened. We think about the the hurricane that went in Florida the, you know, a few weeks ago. Say, man, why does that stuff happen? Why do these difficult things happen? Both of these funerals this week were of two young guys that were about my age. And I was like, man, that's not supposed to happen. That's not supposed to happen. Well, we're going to finish up our series we've been doing called Blinded Mind today. And I'm going to read from the Gospel of John from the New Testament today. And most of this series has been mainly from the Old Testament. But today I want to go to the New Testament and John's Gospel. And we're going to consider this problem we've talked about. Why do things, why do these bad things happen in life? Jesus is actually asked by his disciples about this as they're observing a beggar who has been born blind. And they ask Jesus a question about why he is the way he is. So we're going to look at uh, the ninth chapter of John. That's going to be on the screen or on your personal devices or on your Bible. But we're going to read that straight from John's Gospel. And we're going to read the whole chapter. So, But before we read this, I want to give you just a little background. So Jesus, right before this passage where he has this encounter with this blind beggar and the disciples asking questions, he's just had some pretty tense conversations with some of the religious leaders and people around him. And basically, they say they are children of Abraham. And Jesus says to them, you know what? Before Abraham was, I am. Now, when we hear that, we go, I am. That's not good English, okay? But actually, when Jesus said, I am, he was basically saying just what God said to Moses, to Abraham, I am. And so when they heard that, they lost their minds. You're claiming that you're one with God, and Jesus says, yes, because I am. I've been sent by God. I am his son. I am the Savior, the Messiah of the world. And they just, they couldn't handle that. So this has already been going on before we go into this this chapter right here. So as he went along, he saw a blind, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, he made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, and this word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and all those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks 
like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. When they turned again to the blind man, then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and that he had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. And John interjects, as he always does in his gospel. He says, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him. You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And he, when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and he asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. It's an interesting passage, isn't it? A lot in there. And at my count, I think there's like 18 to 20 questions in this passage. A lot of questions are being asked. But the first one is the one that kind of gets this whole thing going. The first is asked by the disciples after encountering this blind beggar, who I'm assuming that they have seen him a lot. They have seen him on the street begging for years and years. He's been blind since birth, and he's a man now. So they've just you know seen this guy. It's become part of their culture, of their society. 
And so they assume a lot in their question because they ask Jesus, who sinned? I mean, why is this man, why was he born blind? Was it his sin or was it the sin of his parents? And you go, he sinned? If he was born blind, that means he would have had to have sinned in his mother's womb. How do you, man, you got to be a pretty bad person if you're sinning in your mom's womb. Not even got started yet and you're causing your mom problems or whatever. But it doesn't make sense when we go, what? But there was a philosophy in that day. There was a horrible theology. And when I say theology, kids or big kids, theology is thought about God. Okay, we use big words, but they just mean thought about God. That is not good theology that somehow there's this cause and effect. Every time something bad happens because of sin of yours. No, collectively, all the sin of the world has made our world broken, right? That's why bad, but to try to say because he sinned, God struck him with blindness. And we still do this in our culture. Have you ever heard somebody say something like that? Oh, well, they must have sinned. What did you do? And this is not something new to them either. In the Old Testament, you remember the story of Job. When all these awful things happened to Job, he had friends who came for the first seven days, and they just sat with Job. That's what you're supposed to do. You just sit with your friend who's hurting, and you don't need to say anything. You just sit there with them. But then after seven days was up, then they go, So, Job, what'd you do, man? All these bad things. Good, uh, bad things don't happen to good people. So what did you do? Were you cheating on your wife? Were you gambling? Have you been extorting other people? Have you been cheating people in your business? What have you been doing? And he goes, none, none of that. I don't know why this is happening. Oh, come on. That's how God works. And in the end, God told all those miserable comforters, You're wrong. That's not why this happened to Job. And sometimes in life, we think of that too, but it's not. And so Jesus says, when they ask this question, did this man sin? And Jesus goes, neither. Neither one of those is right. You thought it had to be one or the other, and I'm telling you, it was neither. And he says, it's this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, I don't know if you look at this and I go, so does that mean Jesus or God made him blind just so God could heal him on this day? That seems cruel, doesn't it? That God would make him blind his whole life just so this day he could heal him. I don't know the answer to that. But it almost sounds like Jesus is saying that. Or he's just saying this has all come together so that God could be glorified or displayed in him. And then Jesus adds this urgency about carrying out the tasks that are given to us. And the time is short and he is the light of the world. And I would guess after this answer the disciples all look at each other. Like they do most of the time when Jesus answers a question people go what? I don't think I'm clear on that. Matter of fact, I think I'm more confused after that answer, Jesus. So I think the disciples are kind of go, what did he just say? What does that mean? Did he answer the question? But they got their answer because instead of sitting around discussing their question about why this man was the way he was, Jesus decided, I'm going to do something about his life. Now, we sit around a lot, don't we? And we discuss things, all kinds of things. And we got the answers for you know, this, why this football coach should be fired and, you know, I should get another one. And we have, you know, answers for all the wars and politics, all these things we have answers. But Jesus seems to immediately go from this philosophical discussion, theological discussion, which in fact he's God and has all the answers, to spitting on the ground and making some mud and putting it in these guys' eyes. We're going to do something about this. We're not just going to talk about it. Now, it almost seemed a little cruel. Did anybody else think this? Hey, I just put mud in your eyes, and I go wash in the pool of Siloam. Uh, Jesus, he's blind. 
How's he going to do that? But Jesus must knew there were handlers, there were people that loved him and, and helped him. Because you think about this guy, can you imagine being born blind? I just can't even, I remember when the fifth grade, when I got my first set of glasses, and I could not, my mom felt so bad because she didn't know how bad I couldn't see. Because I remember getting my glasses and I was this little nerd with a glass like, oh my gosh, I can see leaves now, mom. I can read license plates. I could see all this stuff that I couldn't see. My mom was like, oh my goodness, I didn't know you couldn't see. But it was, was an amazing thing to be able to see clearly. But I can't imagine being born blind where everything in life had to be described to you. Can you imagine that? Everything. Somebody had to say, well, here's what's happening. You can hear all this stuff. People that are blind have incredible hearing, as you probably know. But they hear things, but somebody, they rely on other people to tell them what's happening, to show them where to go, or they have to feel their way through life. But they can't see like we can. So this man has the opportunity to see again. So Jesus puts this mud and he somehow finds his way to this uh, pool and he's, he's, he can see now. Can you imagine for the first time in your life seeing? I mean, this is amazing. To me, this would be a time of celebrating. Let's throw a party for this guy. This is amazing. But instead, it started this whole buzz about what just happened and the neighbors are asking, oh, they're not going, hey, this is wonderful, giving him a hug and a high five in a fist bump or whatever, they're saying, wait a minute, is this the guy that was blind? Or is it somebody else? No, it just looks like him. And then the guy goes, no, it really is me. I really am the guy that was blind. And what does that tell us? That they had just gotten so used to seeing a blind man. Oh, yeah, there's the blind man. There he is. Yeah, he's begging again today, just like he is every day. It's almost like that. Um, you know, the movie Groundhog Day, you see the same thing over and over again. You just get used to it. No big deal. But verse 13 is probably the most disturbing to me. So instead of throwing a party, instead of celebrating with this man and having a block party about now he can finally see, they took to Jesus, they took Jesus, or they took this man to the, uh, to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made mud and healed him. This is your response. Now, I don't know if you all know this or not, and I didn't know this before doing a little study, but it was, you weren't supposed to heal on the Sabbath, but guess what else you weren't supposed to do? Make clay. That was considered work. So this Jesus has not only healed on the Sabbath, which is against the rules, but he has made clay, which is against the rules. And we don't need to celebrate this man seen again. We need to find out why he broke the law. Does this not disturb anybody else? It's like, what is wrong with this group of people? So two no-nos for the Sabbath, making mud and healing. And the, and the Pharisees start an investigation, an interrogation of the man. And I guess that's not work, where you call other people to go walk and bring this man to you. So there's a lot of walking going on. I'm not sure if they took the right amount of steps or not, but it just seems weird. But on the other hand, there was this division. Because some people say, this Jesus, this couldn't be from God because he made mud and he healed on the Sabbath. You can't do that, so this can't be from God. But even some of the Pharisees goes, yeah, but wait a minute. If this isn't from God, then why did God allow it to happen? So there's a little bit of a tension there. They're trying to figure this out for themselves. Now, what I find fascinating here is that no one seems, again, to be happy for this guy or praising God for this miracle. Everyone wants to seem to say, this isn't really the guy who we thought it was, or he really wasn't, and this shouldn't have been done on the Sabbath. That seems to be the most important thing right now. And I go, what in the world? 
And the Pharisees seem to put a lot of time and work into this Sabbath to get some answers. They're bringing in answers. They're bringing in witnesses and sending out people to bring in the man's parents. Let's clarify that he really is who he says he is. And they were worried, as John tells us, about being booted out of the synagogue. So they just don't really want to get involved. They go, yeah, he was, that is our son. He was born blind, but you need to ask him because he's of age. We just don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. And my question would be, why would you want to be a part of a synagogue that acts like this? So the former blind man gets frustrated because he keeps repeating this story. And he says, y'all aren't even listening. You don't even seem to want it to be true. Do you want to hear it again? Why? And he calls them out about their unbelief and their ignorance. He says, that's amazing. You don't know where this guy came from, but he healed me. I've been blind since birth. Y'all have no clue what that feels like, but I know what it feels like, and I've been healed, and all you can think about is why this guy shouldn't have done it. How do you think that makes him feel? And these are the religious leaders of the day. And so they get mad when he calls them out, and he says, you were steeped in sin at birth. That's what they say. Did y'all hear that? You know what? They have that same philosophy and horrible theology that says you were born that way you deserve this because of your sin and he's just going i I don't know and you know what i don't think he cares would you want to be a part of that synagogue i wouldn't and he's he's just booted out and he's like i don't care because i can see again but here's what fascinates me again about jesus jesus knows all this has happened he's healed the man physically But Jesus goes and finds him. He knows he's been treated like this. He knows that the people who were supposed to be presenting to him who God is have made made him feel like this. And so Jesus goes and finds him and gets to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is, is that the Pharisees, they couldn't be taught because they already knew it all. So anything they didn't know or understand, it either wasn't true or it was evil. You ever know anybody like that? Anything they don't know has to be not true or evil. Their minds were blinded to the truth. And notice here where they didn't, what they did not do here. And this goes back to our verse we've been using through this whole series. They did not glorify God nor give Him thanks. They're trying to explain it away. Rather, they insulted God. They insulted Jesus and called Him a sinner and a lawbreaker. That's how they deal with this. But Jesus, again, focuses on the man. He's been booted out of the synagogue. He's been taught some horrible theology. And he's been treated like this when the greatest thing in his life has just happened. And Jesus goes and finds him and continues the transformation. He's been transformed physically. He can see again. But Jesus wanted to heal this man spiritually. So we ask him when he finds him, he goes, do you believe in the Son of Man? And we may go, what does that mean, the Son of Man? It really means, do you believe there is a Savior? There is a Messiah that's to come into the world? And he's like, yes, who is he? I want to believe in him. After what's just happened to me, I'm ready to believe in him. And Jesus says, I'm that man. Just like he did to the woman at the well when she was asking, yeah, we know about the Messiah. And Jesus says, the one that speaks to you, I am that Messiah. So he says, yes, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus And there it is again from our passage. He glorifies God. He gives God thanks. Spiritually, he is now healed as well. And Jesus pushes this opportunity as he always does for all it's worth. And he says to the man, and he knows the Pharisees are eavesdropping. And he says, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see 
and that those who see will become blind. That's weird, isn't it? Jesus said, I've come so that those who are blind will see, but those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees, they hear this, and they say, what, are we blind too? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. If you could admit your blindness, you wouldn't be guilty of sin. But he says, but now you claim that you can see your guilt remains. You say you know things, you understand things, you can see, but your guilt remains because you really can't. So what do we walk away with from this today? What I try to do, and I think what's important in all of Scripture is, as we read these stories, we try to say, who am I in that story? Am I the parents? Am I the guy? Am I the Pharisees? Am I the neighbors? Am I the bystanders? Who am I in this story? And I feel a little convicted that I'm a Pharisee. I'm skeptical because I already know it all. Are y'all skeptical about stuff in our world? Uh, I don't know about that. I'm kind of one of those kind of people, aren't you? There's an angle on everything. You know, I'm just not sure about that. And sometimes I'm convicted that I'm trying to give answers as a minister sometimes for theological and philosophical questions when real people around me need something practical to relieve their suffering right now. Isn't that what Jesus did to this guy? Everybody wants to sit around and say, hey, let's have lunch and talk about the blind man that's begging over there. Was it his sin or his parents' sin? And sometimes we do that. People need to relieve their suffering now. Both of those funerals that I did this week, I'm thinking, these guys were about my age. I'm, I'm disturbed by this. But what if I went to those families and said, well, you know the reason your loved one died is because of their sin. Do you think that would have been helpful? Of course not. But that's exactly what these religious leaders are doing. Now, when y'all encounter someone's begging, like, you know, we call them homeless people at the end of the, you know, at the red light or something, this is what we do, okay? I mean, this is what I do. Hopefully, y'all can identify with it. So, all of a sudden, I start going through all these questions in my head, okay? Is this person legit, or are they just trying to scam me out of my money? Why are they in this position? I mean, they should be working, because I'll be honest with you, I've just been to three places a day, and all are hiring, right? Why aren't you working? Why are you out begging? Now, if I really help this person, am I really helping them or am I going to enable them to continue to be a beggar? Now, do I have anything? Man, I got, I got like a 20, but I ain't giving them a 20. Let's see, do I have a water bottle in here? Do I have a granola bar? Oh, the light changed. I got to go. And then as I go by him, y'all are laughing because you do this too. And I go, I'm not going to look at him. I'm not going to look at him. I'm not going to look at him. It's true, isn't it? Because there's something inside of us that wants to help them, but there's also something that I don't really want to know the truth about this person. So what we usually do is we just try to act like we don't see that human being that's begging there. So my point is, many times my mind is blinded because of a previous bad experience, because we've given people money that we know they just abused, right? We all know that. We've all been there. Or because I already know the answer. But Jesus convicts me in this story today to look deeper and ask the questions about how I can do something right now for this suffering person. Not necessarily to figure out how they got there and why they got there, but how can I help them right now in their suffering right now? Now think about that in the reverse. If I'm really hurting and suffering, I don't want somebody to come up and ask me a hundred questions about, how did you get there, Craig? 
Was it your sin or the sin of your parents? Both, I don't care, but can you help me? Because that's what I need right now. But sometimes I'd rather explain things away or convince myself I don't need to get involved because I don't like the truth that I'm faced with. There's a real need, and I really don't want to help. I don't want to get involved. That's the truth. There's a writer, historian, John Dixon, writes a social media post a couple of years ago that really annoyed his atheist friends. And what it was was is he found a portion of a 1929 interview with Albert Einstein by a journalist named George Verek. And what annoyed them was Einstein's admiration for a historical figure found in the New Testament Gospels, which was Jesus. But listen to this interview. Verek is asking Albert Einstein, to what extent are you influenced by Christianity? Einstein, as a child, I received instruction both in the Bible and in the Talmud, which is the Jewish law. I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Verick, you accept the historical existence of Jesus? Einstein, unquestionably, no one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. How different for the instant is the impression which we receive from an account of legendary heroes of antiquity like Thesis. Thesis and other heroes of his type lack the authentic vitality of Jesus. That was a real interview with Albert Einstein. I've never heard that. Do you ever hear stuff like that? Of course you don't, because people want to believe that Albert Einstein, because he was a brilliant scientist, had to be an atheist and not believe in God. But Dixon, who found this, says, I literally had folks suggesting that this interview was a fraud, even though, as I pointed out, it was published in one of the 20th century, uh, one of 20th century America's most widely read magazines. I had to dig it out of the archives, and I had to post screenshots of all the pages of this magazine to get people to really believe this was an actual interview. We believe what we want to believe, don't we? So what is Jesus maybe calling us to do in our lives that we have turned a blind eye to? And I think that's different for all of us, right? There's things that every day maybe we've become so normal. It's always going to be like that. They are never going to change. She's never going to change. He's never going to change. They're never going to change. Those policies will always be the same. This way, it's always going to be this way. And we just turned a blind mind to it. We don't even see the blind man anymore that's right there every day when I go out of my house. And are we given a lot of reasons of why this can't be done or why this might not be true? Maybe me and you need to wash the clay out of our eyes to a new perspective of how the works of God might be displayed in this situation or in this person or even through me in this situation. Somebody came to me after the first service and had a great conversation about he's got a neighbor who he knows is not a believer. And he's talking about how he's trying to have these conversations and, and really get him to know the God that he knows. And I thought, that's fascinating. That's exactly, I think, what Jesus is saying is have these good conversations. Treat people with respect. There was a radio program a few years ago called This American Life. And there was a story on there about... Uh, a writer named David Rakoff, and he had a lot of different jobs in his life. But listen, one of them was um, he was um, worked in a, a company in Tokyo. And at the time, in 1986, they were working 
on a computer program that would allow people like himself to write little messages to someone else after logging on to the network. Actually, that took a phone, right? But he was not impressed with this. This is what he said. What kind of loser would want to log onto a computer just to talk to someone? And in a moment of decisiveness, he went to his company and quit and said, this is stupid. Sayonara, suckers. Good luck with your network. I don't care to be a part. And he quit that job. Then it says earlier in the 80s, he was in a dance club and heard this young blonde singer from Michigan. And as he listened to her, he goes, she's horrible. She'll never make it. It was Madonna. Now, whether you think of her or not, she had a pretty good career. Then again in his life, he had an opportunity working in a publishing company. He was handed a manuscript of a book, and he passed it off as subliterate drive and an easy pass. And the book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, went on to sell 15 million copies. So this guy, seeing isn't always believing, is it? And I think we are like that sometimes in life. We think we're so caught up in what we know and what we think in our opinion that we sometimes miss the truth that's right in front of us. Sometimes we miss human beings that are right in front of us. That's what I think. When I, when I drive through and I say, I'm not going to look at that homeless person, I'm basically saying, I don't want to acknowledge your existence as a human being because as a human being, I might have to do something. So I'm convicted by this. But I hope through this series, I hope through listening and seeing what Jesus did, this person was valuable to him. Even though he couldn't see, he was valuable. And Jesus used this opportunity throughout history has taught people to think everybody matters. Everybody has an opportunity to know the truth and allow that truth to set them free. And through this series we've been doing, I hope you've been challenged to continually seek God's word for truth and direction in your life in every aspect of our life. Not just our church life, but every aspect of our life, whether it's finances or our marriages or raising kids or our jobs or whatever it is we do, we should seek God's word for truth and direction in our life. Because when we rely on our own wisdom or our own desires or popular opinion or cultural opinion, we are going to always forget to glorify God and give Him thanks. And as that scripture says, our minds can become dark and confused. And I just want to read one more time this verse I read in the very first sermon of this series from 2 Corinthians. And this is what Paul says, The God, and that's little g, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Jesus is no longer here on earth, y'all. And so we get to be the hands and the feet of Jesus we get to be Jesus for somebody, but we have to acknowledge people. And even in the midst of their suffering that we think, that's not fair. That shouldn't have happened. That's not right. We still ought to do something to alleviate the suffering of that person that's going through that difficult time. And we have that opportunity. God's created us to do that. And I hope that we'll do that. So this morning we offer, I see the 
Uh, our praise team is coming up, and we're going to go into a time of communion. But during that time of communion, we're also going to offer an invitation, as we always do. Maybe there's somebody here today who says, you know what, I don't understand everything theologically or philosophically, but I know there's sin in the world. I know it's broken, and we have a God and a Creator who has fixed that brokenness through Jesus Christ and His death and His resurrection for us. That's the hope of the world through Jesus Christ. And that's what we really need in our lives. So if you need to make that decision today, we're going to offer that invitation. Are you looking for a church home? We are certainly not a perfect church, but we try to go to God's word and find answers for the things in life that disturb us most through his word. And we're committed to that. This week, I can't tell you how encouraging it was to see how people reached out to these families who lost a loved one. That's being the hands and feet of Jesus, taking them a meal, just calling them, giving them a hug. And there's lots of other stuff that's going on, and y'all are doing that. And that's when we're most like God, when we're giving, when we're giving to people. So if you want to find a church home, we'd love to have you come and make that decision today as well. Well, they're going to lead us in a song, and then after that, we're going to take communion together. If you're here for the very first time, if you didn't get one of those little packs of communion, you can sneak out during the song and get you one. You don't have to be a member of our church to take communion with us. If you are a believer, we invite you to partake in that while we remember what Jesus did for all of humanity to save us, and that's give his life um, so that we might be forgiven and restored to God, and that's why we celebrate communion. So we're going to ask you to stand at this time. If you have a decision, come forward. If not, let's just focus as the, the band leads us in this song. <clears throat>